This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. It is the Danny Mac Podcast. Thanks for giving me some time today. We have a great weather week ahead in Chicagoland. Everybody is looking forward to getting the golf clubs out of the corner of the garage. If you have a garage, if you don't, you're missing out on all the best life has to offer. And uh, maybe seeing if you can go make a couple of pars on one of these gorgeous weekday mornings. We're expected to have good weather all week until the weekend, which is when most people get out and and enjoy the games people play. But I'm going to do a little of everything this week and find out what the bass are, are biting on down the street at my golf course pond. It's not my golf course. It's a golf course in the neighborhood. And I also plan to see how much progress I've made with a nine iron in the offseason doing some strength training and trying to regenerate nerves. But that's enough about life of the senior tour. The PGA Tour meets the Live Tour over the weekend at Augusta National, and there was some drama. There is continuing drama. Uh, I want to get to what was a very interesting Masters Championship this weekend, Uh, not just because of the weather delays and having to slam that third round in, as quickly as they had to rush to get it done on Sunday. But the performance of the rubbery John Rahm, the 28-year-old Spaniard, is worthy of a few minutes today. I don't do a lot of golf on these podcasts. I don't expect a lot of you will hang around for it after I get to some exciting NFL nuggets, and they are exciting today. But for those of you who who enjoy the game of golf, and even if you're casual, give it a chance, and maybe you'll make it until our sign-off and getting to closing credits because just a few notes that are worth sharing that are not necessarily related to, you know, what uh, what anybody's short game was was like over the week, what Brooks Kepka didn't do to, to finish what he started after a terrific first two days of the Masters. So hang around for that. But there's, there's conversation more germane to you Chicago Bears fans today because you're continuing to, if you're like me, digest a lot of the pre-draft thoughts of the the intel around college football. I have been watching the draft, the mock drafts, and how they've been changing since the combine wrapped up. And it's interesting how far some people can sink without ever putting pads on between late February and where we are now on the 10th of April, exactly 20 days before the NFL draft. And of course, the Bears in a position to change the direction of the franchise even further. With that ninth pick in the first round acquired in the deal with Carolina, Ryan Poles also grabbing DJ Moore, the wide receiver 
there is some refreshed confidence within Lake Forest and Bears Nation, as there should be about an upgrade at receiver. For me, it's as much Chase Claypool, last year's in-stream, midstream acquisition, who didn't do anything, really. I think only caught a dozen or 13 balls in the six or eight games he played in. He had injuries, and Fields was banged up. Justin Fields wasn't available for one of one of his healthy starts, and they never connected, maybe the offseason. And maybe with – there is value I didn't consider right after the trade when I said – Polls should have waited a little bit longer. It's a good deal, but it's not as much of a cause for a victory celebration as I was experiencing because he could have waited a little bit longer. There were other teams that had multiple picks who might have might have met the Bears' offer. I doubt John Schneider in Seattle was going to give up both of the Seahawks' number ones for the number one pick in the draft, especially since they don't need a quarterback immediately, assuming Geno Smith is capable of of getting his deal taken care of and going out and performing the way he did last year in route to winning the comeback player of the year award. A top five player in the league. In some categories, passer completion percentage, he was the best in pro football. He was amazing at 31. But also when you get that many miles on a guy, how long do you want to ride him? If you are a believer in Bryce Young of Alabama or the guy who's Anthony Richardson from Florida, whose stock has shot through the roof since the season ended because of offseason workouts, or C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. If you feel one of those guys is a franchise quarterback in your Seattle, maybe you do make that move. But Polls executed it, and I didn't think about the offseason and how nice it is to have him in the fold with a, a veteran player who hasn't really worked with good quarterbacks during his tenure in Carolina. I mean, post Cam Newton 2015, when the Panthers went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Broncos, Carolina has had a big bag of shit under center. Sam Darnold is among them. Baker Mayfield was dreadful in his half of a season in Carolina. What did he start? Four or five, six games? Even, I. it's just... I, I've got to be more optimistic than I've been about DJ Moore. And it's not crazy to think the Bears can get a difference maker at wide receiver without even in the draft, without even using one of their higher round picks for it. They have that ninth pick. It makes sense to grab a franchise changing pass rusher, either an edge rusher or a tackle. The Bears have drafted five offensive linemen in the first round, dating back to Jim Covert 40 years ago. All of them, except Kyle Long, were abject failures, undeniable failures on the offensive line. Stan Thomas, Mark Colombo, the dude from Vanderbilt, Chris Williams, Jerry Angelo didn't know he had back problems and picked him 14th. Ooh, he did know about Tommy Harris's knee problems when he drafted Harris out of Oklahoma, but he wound up being a great player for a short period of time. And that was certainly worthy of the 14th pick. And there was uh, Gabe Karimi of Wisconsin, who just never wanted to get bigger, was content to be a light in the ass starting left tackle and busted out. And he never, never was anything in the NFL. And I, I didn't sense that he ever really wanted to be anything in one visit face to face with Gabe Karimi. He rubbed me as a guy who didn't have what it took 
to be a stud muffin at the pro football level. And I know that might be silly, but sometimes you look in a guy's eyes and see nothing, just that vacant stare. And that's what I got from Gabe Karimi. And I wound up being right on that one. Now there's uh, a kid in Iowa who is getting a lot of conversation right now about where he fits in in the hierarchy of the NFL draft. And his name is Kyle Van Ness. He's a Barrington kid who was all world as a high school player and really did not. And he's a junior. He's coming out a year early. His nickname is Hercules in Iowa city and around weight rooms in Barrington. I'm certain he's got the NFL prototype build, but he didn't really mature enough to be an every down every game player for the Hawkeyes in recent years. He has tremendous lower body strength. He is a weight room dude who can play both outside and inside. Reading what the scouts say about Kyle Van Ness is he needs to develop a lot more moves inside. His footwork is sloppy as an inside pass rusher. And if he gets even bigger, he's not going to play edge. He's likely to play inside in a 3-4. And what that means is he's got to get much better at his short, choppy feet. And it's critical at that level. He also doesn't have a good hip rotation. He doesn't twist as well to get off of blocks, which is a problem whether you're on the edge or in the interior. But there there was one draft I saw, and I don't remember which. They scroll them by so quickly, and I don't bother to write them down. You, you, you know who all the usual suspects are, your DJs and your Zerlines and uh, Bucky, Bucky Brooks, all of these guys. And they're also very close in because none of them really want to step out too much. You might see differences in the mock draft as to who goes one to Carolina, whether it's going to be Stroud or uh, the dude from Alabama, whose name I'm forgetting again, <laughs> Bryce Young. I always forget him. I won't by the time they pick in 20 days. But you see a little flip-flop between Carolina and Houston, one and two, which one goes where. But most of the first 15 picks are very similar. I saw one that has the Bears taking Van Ness at number nine. And I have a couple of friends who went to Iowa and watch Kirk Ferentz's team every week. And they say, tread cautiously with this guy as high as he's being projected because he didn't work his way into the every day, every game. He uh, wasn't a high percentage of snaps guy. And this is more of a an athleticism projection and a body type, the prototype stud defensive lineman, whether inside or outside. He has got those things with his Hercules nickname, but is he a guy who's going to be worth picking at nine? I, I I think that's a bit of a reach. And what you're, you're also seeing about what the Bears may do is, and I two of the three guys whose mocks are, are going most consistently, the three guys I mentioned, Zerline, Brooks, and DJ, they have two of the three have Peter Skaronsky, the Northwestern tackle coming to the Bears at number nine. Now, that would be a potential huge move for the Bears for a half a dozen, 10 years. If Skaronsky is what he is expected to be and doesn't Skaronsky just fit for Chicago, isn't that perfect? Grabowski 
in the 80s, Skaronsky in the 20s, the roaring 20s of Bears football, anchored by tackle Peter Skaronsky, Northwestern. Um, I, I can't speak intelligently on Peter Skaronsky. I've asked a few of my Northwestern moles, and they say all the things you've seen in the scouting reports. And you, if you've been looking at what I said about Kyle Van Ness, you've seen those things as well. I'm just regurgitating what the best advice, you know, what the people who've watched this stuff and study it and go to the combine and talk, um, you know, to scouts and GMs all the time, what they're saying, they are much more plugged in than I am. And if you hear a guy in the air on the air in Chicago, who's saying he's more plug, he, he is trying to, equate what he knows to what those guys know he's talking out of his ass because none of us do and none of us ever have we can read the reports we can isolate on players and very few fans do that which is surprising to me that guys who have done media in whatever form it comes don't know how to evaluate a player you watch him snap after snap for four quarters and you don't follow the ball. You you watch how guys get off double teams. You watch if they have double moves. You watch if offensive linemen are tipping or if they're playing with a pad level that isn't uh, it isn't appropriate. You see those things only if you watch them snap after snap, and very few people do. So when you're hearing guys on the radio tell you that this pass rusher is all that or this offensive lineman is all that, take it with a grain of salt. Because they don't they don't watch the way the experts do. And the experts aren't always right because things happen between college and professional ball. Some guys don't adjust to the pressure. Some guys have personal things uh, that take them away from what they thought was going to be their career calling. It's not a science. You can't project it with certainty. Just as Billy Bean reminded the old school scout in Moneyball, you don't know. And you promise these kids that you do know, and you don't. And neither do the NFL guys. There are guys who are going to be wrong. And if Carolina goes Bryce Young one and they're wrong, they are going to take beatings for it, and rightfully so, because he is a colossal risk at his size. Everybody points to the two guys who've won Super Bowls in this century. Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. That cannot be denied. They are guys under six feet tall who have hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. They are the only two who have done that. So that's two more than you've had running quarterbacks win Super Bowls. And we thought the Eagles were going to pull one out this year, but they came up just a little bit short when they faced the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. And I want to talk about the Chiefs because this is an argument that is absolutely asinine. I saw today. This is where we are in the schedule. It's a, it's a rare lull period for the Shield right now. I must confess, and I commented on this in a recent podcast here on Bed Rivers, there's nothing going on in the NFL because NFL couches were just speaking coach speak. Did I say couches? Coaches were just speaking, you know, word salad on why they're new quarterbacks. You know, Sean Payton telling you why Russell Wilson has got a lot left in the tank and how excited this guy is to work with that. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. It's just noise. It's just noise is all it is. And and with 20 days left until there's a pick, and we did have Odell Beckham signing with the Ravens yesterday. I'll get to that in a second if I remember to, because uh, there are a few NFL things happening. What's not is happening is a debate right now, I heard, about which quarterback is better, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. Really? 
You want to do that? Are you sure you want to do that, Bengals fans? Who day? I say no, and I say it's an asinine conversation. I love Joe Burrow. I couldn't agree more with what Kyle Brandt said, that there's a better argument, is Burrow the number two? (laughs) Or is it Josh Allen in Buffalo? How far behind is Justin Herbert of the Chargers? Is he in the conversation yet? It's tough to say yes without playoff credentials, just like it is for Josh Allen. I mean, playoff credentials getting into the game with Roman numerals. Only one guy does that every year, and Allen hasn't done that. Burrow beat him, and Burrow is awesome. I freaking love Joe Burrow. He is a leader. He has shown he can come back from adversity after the ACL reconstruct that took him out of his first season. He's a badass. He's a guy I want quarterback in my team. He ain't Patrick Mahomes. No way, no how. It's just a stupid argument based on their, just look at the damn numbers of their careers and you will see, and here's, and I know there are variables and the Bengals did not have the same level of talent on the offensive line to protect Burrow in recent years the way the Chiefs have had during their recent heyday, glory era of golden era of Chiefs football with high round draft picks helping their quarterbacks and giving him protection and how Patrick Mahomes as a young player had the freedom to improvise and ad lib and make those left-handed little flip passes and and no look passes look amazing. You run around and you you got skill that's unteachable. You got skill that's unrivaled and you had the speed of Tyreek Hill for all but last season in Kansas City and then you replaced it with a good enough supporting cast led by Juju Smith-Schuster who had mid 70s level catches and the best tight end in pro football in Kelsey. So you're 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 set up there. I you got to give them that. And Hayden Hurst is a good tight end for the Bengals and they've got good depth at wide receiver. But their offensive line was a pile of shit for a while and he had to overcome that. Here's where they are similar in their careers. Burrow versus Mahomes including playoffs, both have lost 19 games. Mahomes has won 75. 75 and 19 in his career as a starter with the Chiefs. Joe Burrow is 29, 19 and 1. I couldn't pass math to save my life after we got through addition and subtraction, but I can subtract 29 from 75 and tell you that this argument is dopey. You don't compare the gold medalist in pro football right now to the second best player in the league. You don't. If you wanted to say you'd rather have Burrow than Mahomes, You might have a plausible argument. You might. Because there are difference in ages four years. That's the only reason you would do that. The only reason you'd take Hollywood Joe, Broadway Joe the second, if you will. (laughs) The only way you would do that would be predicated on age. You know, if you want to think that Mahomes' ankle injury last year is going to slow him, you go ahead and think that. I'm going to put my money on Andy Reid if Reid decides he's coming back and he says right now he is. So that's a dopey-ass argument. Odell Beckham, is he what the Ravens needed? 
he's a high risk anywhere he goes, but I, I would tend to want to trust him at this point in his career based on finding religion. And I don't mean literally, I mean, at the end, when you can tell your days are numbered, you tend to be more dialed in. You've seen this with veteran receivers, prima donnas who have concluded their careers by hitting a few extra stops along the way, just the way Beckham has done now after leaving the Giants, after spending time with Cleveland and then with the Rams and not getting picked up after he blew his knee out in the Rams Super Bowl win a couple years ago. This is a last stop, potentially, and he's got a chance to do it with a quarterback who a lot of people still believe in. They do in Baltimore. They want to get Lamar Jackson in the fold with a three-year deal that pays him Deshaun Watson money per year, but not over the length of a long term. I think that's a fair deal. It might not be the best deal for Jackson, who still does not have an agent, but it's it's a fair deal because of the history of running quarterbacks and their production. And you already have seen it. He couldn't finish the year this year. Running quarterbacks go down. It's a fact. You can deny it if you want to. Odell Beckham helps them if he's if his mind is right, if his knee is healthy. He doesn't give them the player he was with the Giants when he got he was so good. Oh man, I was proud to I'm proud to say I was one of the first fantasy owners in America who put Odell Beckham on a roster before he was a starter just when I saw him return a punt for the uh, Giants. I said, "Man, this son of a bitch can go. This guy, I got to get him." He was a rookie. I took him and like I was glad I did. And that was just a few weeks later when he made the one-handed catch in the end zone that still is an all-time NFL top 10 catch. And there have been some great ones in recent years. The one-hand grab has become a way of life in the NFL. You need a top 10 just for that. You do. Odell Beckham makes the Ravens better, but it's moot if they don't agree to terms with Lamar Jackson. If he plays chicken and doesn't start the year, where, where he, you know, he would be to their benefit if he does. I just saw highlights today of, of, <laughs> of Tyler Hundley giving the ball away. Or was it Randy Hundley? No, he's the former Cubs catcher. Referenced in an interview recently with Don Kessinger. No baseball for you today. I want to stick with hitting a ball longer than a baseball can be hit, hitting it 350 yards instead of 350 feet. And that is the uh, Masters over the weekend. John Rahm is a fun player to watch. He's a 28-year-old Spaniard who doesn't have any fears off the tee box. He is colossal off the tee. That remains one of the most exciting elements in golf. As jaw-dropping as some of those putts can be on the tricky greens, especially the way 16 played Sunday in the final round, the par three, uh, where you've got a very small opportunity to land a ball softly from 183 yards out. And those guys can do it because they can hit you know, shorter clubs and get more trajectory than those of us who are average players can do it. But still, you could be really wrong on 16 yesterday. And the, some of those putts and some of those approaches that, that just snaked their way, one more rotation of the ball or less rotation of the ball is the difference between a tap-in or a three-jack. I mean, or possibly getting your ball in the water if it rolls off, which which can happen if it gets a little too much speed, if you don't have enough uh, or, or less spin on the on the approach. So Rom is just 
textbook grip it and rip it. He was the longest player all weekend. His final round, 69, took him to 12 under to win the championship by four strokes. Brooks Kepka fell apart and wound up sharing that he was a, what, a, a three over 75 on Sunday and really was was no longer a threat once he got to the back nine. It was You didn't have any feeling that Kepka was going to come back and make a run out of that thing. Mickelson, who was already in the clubhouse, with a seven under 65, uh, winds up sharing second place with his fellow live brother. And I got a kick out of all the live hatred over the weekend I saw on social media. They wind up finishing with a minus eight for the tournament. Victor Hovland was a plus two Sunday and a minus six for the tournament. What's fun today about Victor Hovland is he is admitting to sending a message to a slower player in front of him, Patrick Canley. I just saw this a few hours ago, and this is a great story because I'm a huge fan of the message sender in golf. It's not something you see on the Pro Tour very often, but if somebody in front of your group is taking three practice swings and then decides to re-club and takes more than one practice swing... They deserve to have a title is sent just a little bit short of their direction. I'm not saying hit into them. I'm saying run it up into them. You know, if that group in front of you is 180 yards away, don't hit a three iron, hit a six iron. That's what I would hit because my six iron is likely going to roll 200 yards if I hood the club. Just You get what I'm saying. Let them them know you're behind them. You'd like to finish the round in less than four hours. No round of golf that is not in a charity tournament should take more than four hours to play. Best at three hours to play 18 holes. Hovland sends a message to Patrick Cantley. I think that's one of the best stories of Augusta over the weekend. The fleshy Patrick Reed. Boy, there were a lot of fleshy players yesterday doing well. Not fat guys, but rubbery guys, including Rom. Rom looks like, first time I saw John Rom, I my thought was, which where did he grow up in New Jersey? He looks like he should have been on the cast of Sopranos. Patrick Reed is another one of those fleshy guys with a checkered past. Uh, things he has said on the golf course, things he said off the golf course that people don't like. Uh, and I don't like them either. Uh, Reed was four under yesterday. He finishes seven under. Russell Henley also seven under with a two below par yesterday, 70. And Jordan Spieth, who I've always enjoyed uh, watching him play. It was a minus six Sunday, finishing with a minus seven for the championship. And it's good to see him playing good, playing well at Augusta again. After his collapse a few years ago, he did win the event and then just fell apart in a Jean Van Veldian. Jean Van de Veldian? You remember Jean Vandeveld. That was the British Open when all he needed to do was make, I think, double bogey on 18, and he blew the freaking tournament, the championship. Sorry, golf snobs out there. Don't call a major event a tournament. It's a championship. That's right, the Masters Championship, won by John Rahm yesterday, and it was fun. I like seeing guys who have just a, you know, I don't give a shit attitude on the tee box. It's not always smart in professional golf, any form of golf, just to just be hammering away up there. 
He takes no pause at the top. Rom does not stop and 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 regroup. He is and he he had to learn to play that way as a younger player because of a club foot. We should do a most famous club foot draft maybe on next week's podcast. Give you some time to think about that. I'm going with the love interest of Humphrey DeForest Bogart in uh, one of his gangster movies opposite Ida Lupino in High Sierra. Oh, that was a good film. There was a girl with a club foot and Bogey helped her fix it, but he was a criminal, so she wanted nothing to do with him. It's a very sad story. You should watch it. Anyway, Rom had the club foot, so that's why he didn't. He had to learn something different with his swing, and he stuck with it even when his club foot was made better. He's just fearless. He's fun to watch. I love those guys. I love the I just want to hit the ball freaking hard guys. And Phil Mickelson is one of those guys, and he winds up seven under 65. That makes it fun. Uh, The live hatred is something I understand. Uh, It's not something I share. Uh, I think Saudi Arabian, you know, if you have a problem with them, I, I understand why. It's not hard. But at the same time, I also believe that what sports leagues do is form a monopoly. And there have been many leagues that have attempted to go after the most powerful professional league of all, the NFL, the World League of American Football, well, the World Football League even before then, then the USFL signing players like Herschel Walker and trying to build their brand. They've all failed. They're all spitballs at a battleship. The Live Tour has not been that. They got half the guys who are the best players in the world to say, yeah, I, I like the way you guys are organizing this better. And it just so happens it's a Saudi Arabian investment group and Greg Norman, who was disliked by a lot of golf fans even before this, I thought very unfairly. Uh, yeah, he spit the bit on Sundays. He freaking put together three great rounds to get there. How'd you like to have three great days of work consecutively and then be at a little bit? not so hot on the fourth day. I think if if we all would have been like Greg Norman in our jobs, we would have accomplished more than what we did. But he's behind this live tour, and there are people who said on Friday, Brooks Kepka, I hope he falls on his ass. And, you know, and I, I get it, but I don't share your feelings about that. These guys did not win lotteries to become the best players in the world. They worked their asses off. And what, what those pro franchises do, as much as we all would like to be among them, is they restrain your trade. They keep you from earning what you are capable of earning. And that's what Liv showed some of the greatest players in the game. And they convinced them to jump on board. Maybe we should appreciate what the Masters provides us. It gets all the great players in the world back together because they're welcome to play in the championships. So instead of pointing fingers and being pissed off, maybe you just say, hey, this is going to be better golf this weekend because we've got we've got John Rahm squaring off against Brooks Kapka and Phil Mickelson has shown he's not finished. And Jordan Spieth, who's not on the live. You had a lot of good drama for an enjoyable weekend if you wanted it to be. But if you want to be mad at players for choosing to play in the live league, I'm not going to stop you. I just don't share it. I don't care enough about golf to be mad at players for choosing a Saudi league. I just don't. Adam Delavitt, I spent a lot of time with uh, Baby Capone today 
uh, talking about the direction of the Danny Mac podcast. Looking forward to getting you some more guests in the weeks and months ahead, including, uh, I don't want to mention this until I'm closer to it. Maybe Thursday I'll have a better idea what a really, really cool NFL draft guest will be coming up. Uh, I should know Thursday if this is going to be doable or not. It is Jermaine to the Bears at nine and Carolina at one and an anniversary of sorts regarding an NFL draft. You chew on that. I bet John Bach, the great iron assassin, knows what I'm talking about, but he'd be the only one. So Adam and I have been uh, talking about how to get this podcast more exciting for you, and it's going to include more listener feedback. I want to encourage you to go on my Twitter page, at Danny Mac Show. When I post questions or, or pose you know, what would you like to hear more of on the podcast? Please contribute to it because I'd like you to be an editor. Help me help me make this more interesting for you and get more people involved. So at Danny Mac Show on Twitter or on Facebook, easily accessible, whether you're a friend or not. And I don't have enough vanity to start a fan page. It's not in my nature. I think that's gross. Sam Michael agrees with me on that. He's the executive producer of the Danny Mac podcast. Uh, help you guys all had a great Easter weekend. Those of you who celebrate the occasion knuckle punch virtually from me he is risen the tobes of hades lit by flickering torchlight a wonderful uh metaphor from the oddest source the canadian power trio rush writing a ballad on al- album number two about good triumphing over adversity bitor and the snow dog you should check it out it's it's deep Uh, that's that's how i leave you on this monday have a great week i'm back on thursday for more nfl chatter as we tick tock our way to the carolina panthers who are on the clock thanks for listening i'm dan mcneil have a great first few days of your week thanks for listening to the danny mac podcast on the bet rivers network 